So as I said, this morning we are blessed to have a guest speaker. Um, for some of you, that's a bigger blessing than uh, for others because you've heard me preach enough lately. Um, I am excited to have the opportunity to hear from Dave this weekend again. Uh, he's done such a fantastic job of just encouraging us to think about it, what it means for us as a church to be the church. Um, and I've, I've been really looking forward to this particular sermon this morning as he mentioned the words chicken fried uh, in regards to this. And so I'm excited about that. Dave uh, is a fantastic speaker, a great youth minister. He was Lorenda's youth minister. Uh, and so that's kind of a connection that we've had for quite a while. Um, in addition to that, Dave has a kind of busy week ahead of him. Uh, his son is graduating from high school this week, yeah. right? And Dave has just finished his doctorate from Fuller Theological Seminary. And he is walking this week, although he's doing the virtual walk. And so uh, Kyle and I had thought maybe we'd you know, have Kyle get his master's robes on and come up here and confer something to him. But we don't have anything to confer other than our profound gratitude for the time you've spent with us this week. And so I'm going to invite Dave to come up and share with us this morning. Thank you, Chris. <clears throat> well, clear the throat before we get started. Thank you, Chris. That means a lot what you said. And I have been so blessed in the time that I've been able to share with your church family here at Newburgh. We've been out at Camp Yamhill for the last couple of days. For those of you who were unable to join us for whatever reason, your leaders prayed for you there uh, for the forgiveness of your sins, <laughs> for not joining us on the retreat. Uh, no, I'm just thrilled to see everybody here this morning. I already recognize a lot of faces, and it's exciting to see some new faces as well. And so thank you for giving me the opportunity to spend this time with you. As Chris mentioned, his wife, Lorinda, formerly Ives, I, I always think of her as Lorinda Ives. I'm sorry, I've been trying to break that. Uh, Lorinda came over to Eastside when I was a youth minister there, 2005 to 2000, or 2000 to 2005, showed up, and it was a very involved member of our student ministry, always worked hard, always brought a lot of joy, maybe a little mischief, but she comes from a great family, and I love this young lady and her husband, and I'm thankful to have this connection here. The Northwest is a special place for our family. When we graduated college, my wife and I met at Oklahoma Christian, and we moved up here for our first attempt to work with a church in the capacity of youth minister. And as we worked with the Eastside Church of Christ, I can tell you right now, what an amazing church to begin a public ministry. We were surrounded by people who loved on us and supported us. And in those few short years, that's where we began our family. So I've got a daughter who's about to be 21, who was born right over there in Clackamas. I've got a middle son who's about to graduate high school, born in the same hospital right over there in Clackamas. And then we moved to Texas, and I've got my youngest son who was born to us when we were in graduate school. So I've got two Oregonians in our house, uh, as well as two Texans. My wife was also born there, and I'm a native to Colorado, uh, specifically the Longmont area. And I'm learning as I get to meet people that with the ties that are in the church, some of you have some friends down at Mountain State's Children's Home and in that area, and so that's a place you're also familiar with. Isn't it great in our churches, that when we have a conversation with people, it doesn't take long to discover all of the relationships that we share spread out literally all around the world. It's just something special to me about being part of our tribe and churches of Christ that I love, and I definitely have experienced that here with you this weekend. I told the group this weekend that what I have prepared that I am proposing to you is basically a threefold proposal this weekend. 
threefold proposal that I want to share with you. Number one, that I believe God has called us as a people to be unified. And if you weren't at the retreat, we talked about this a little bit, the idea that Jesus in his prayer before he was arrested and taken off to be crucified, he prayed, God, would you please help these people to take the message I've given them and to live it as a unified people, to be one. And that through their unity, the church becomes a witness to the world of God and his intention for his people. We are called to be unified. That's the first proposition. Proposition number two, within our unification, by the grace of God and his his creative design, we are also created to be diversified. We looked at texts yesterday in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, these, these lists of all of the different gifts that exist in our various churches. And the idea that this is also God's design, that unity does not mean uniformity, that as a, universe, as a unified people, we celebrate the fact that God gave each and every one of us very specific gifts and talents and abilities for a purpose, that as we identify our talents and think imaginatively about how we might use them, these might be the ways that God has designed you and me to help support the body. Everyone in this room has a role to play in serving, in supporting, in strengthening, in building this body up. And we bring a diverse set of skills and personalities and interests to the table. So there's a rich diversity in God's kingdom. We are called to be united. We are created to be diversified. And this morning, where where we're going to try to land the plane is with my third proposition, and that is, I believe we have also been commissioned to be chicken fried. (laughs) Called to be unified, created to be diversified, commissioned to be chicken fried. So what in the world does that even mean, right? Well, if I were to ask you today, what is your favorite comfort food? We probably could have a a very interesting conversation with a lot of different opinions, some of them very passionate about the very best comfort food. Now, what I think of when I think of comfort food is things like macaroni and cheese, uh, meatloaf, big bowl of beef stew, uh, the things that we eat maybe on days where it's gray and gloomy outside, and in Oregon, we've got a lot of those, don't we? So what are the things that you say, oh man, it's just kind of cold, and it's gray, and it's gloomy? I want something that's Comfort food that's going to have a particular emotional response as I consume this. Well, among those things for me is fried chicken, chicken fried. All right, and we love to fry things, and we know that it's not particularly healthy, but there's something about all kinds of fried foods that almost immediately put them into that category of comfort foods. We eat them because for a time, they just warm us up, and they taste so good, and they smell so good, and it's, it's just that warm feeling of home. Chicken fried. In Acts chapter 2, there is a short passage here that many of you will already be familiar with. I want to read this account from Acts 2, and I want to suggest to you maybe uh, a different slant on what happens here in the early church and how this might manifest today 
and look for a people in Newburgh, Oregon, who choose to be a chicken-fried people. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. It came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, the people asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each one hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Okay, this is a text that if you've been raised in the church or spent any time around church, may be familiar to you. All right, the day of Pentecost, and we've got the early church, and they're gathered in this house. And it's interesting when we, when we break this down a little further. Here we have early Christians who have assembled together in a place to worship God, to encourage one another. And in the process of all this, the Holy Spirit breaks in and stirs everything up. Now all of a the sudden, these untrained men are able to speak in languages that are discerned by people on the outside of this house. Did you catch that? They're meeting together in a house. They're in a relatively secluded environment. But because of the commotion, fueled by the Spirit, something happens in this room. And what happens in this room travels through the windows. It goes out the doors into the crowds on the outside of this building. On the outside of this room, there's something that wafts out the doors. And it's captivating, and it catches attention, and people begin to stop and say, I don't know what's going on in there, but there's something wafting out the windows. And it's come to my attention, and now I find myself very interested. I'm going to stop, and I'm going to look in and see what's going on. And not just me, but the next guy passing by and the next woman passing by. And before long, there's a crowd. And they're amazed because there's something going on in there that's wafting out the windows. And I think I might want to go in and have a taste of that for myself. God calls us to be a chicken fried people. There's two distinct things that I want to address this morning. Because they overlap, but they are, they are different. One of which is what we do as a church when we also assemble in a space 
and we come together, much like this scene in Acts chapter 2. We come together to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to worship the Lord. And sure enough, here we are in this space. What happens in this room? Does it waft out the doors? What would the passerby have to say should they be walking through our parking lot or on the sidewalk and the street anytime we gather in this room? Now, if you've ever walked by a house where someone is cooking dinner, you've walked by someone's apartment and there's something on the stove and the windows are open and whatever it is, you don't know, all you know is, oh my goodness, that smells delicious. We've all done this before. I wasn't even hungry until I got a whiff of that. But because I got a whiff of that, now I kind of want to peek in the window and see what's being cooked in there. In fact, I'd love to go in there and and have a taste of that myself. We've been there, right? We ask ourselves as a church, the things we do when we gather here together in this space, do they waft out the windows? And if they did, would a passerby say, that smells delicious? In fact, that smells like comfort food. Something in there is chicken fried, and I would love to come in and get a taste of it. Is that who we are as chicken fried people when we gather in this room? But secondly, being a chicken fried people extends well beyond the walls of this room. And it should be a redundant saying today (laughs) to consider the idea that as Christians, our lives are lived largely outside of this room. Can I get an amen? How do we worship God and when do we worship God? And these are questions that we ask ourselves and we say, well, certainly we gather together in this place for specific reasons and that's a good thing and we want to continue to do that. But what does it mean when we leave this space? Chicken fried people are those who live their lives in such a way that as we interact with our family, our friends, our coworkers, there's also something that is an aroma. There's something that's appealing. There's something that's intriguing that tends to waft. That when people encounter us, they say, I don't know what that is, but I'm curious what you're cooking because I'd like to have a taste of that too. So we stand unified as a body. And we celebrate the diversity that is within us. But we also ask the question, what's the point of it all? Then what? So we try to be one and we recognize our gifts. We try to use our gifts in ministry. But then what? But so what? So that we can be chicken fried people to the world around us. Now, there's something to me about chicken fried chicken. All right? We've talked about comfort food. But I'll just use the chicken. Something that is chicken fried, that's comfort food, it has particular qualities that we would all recognize. Comfort food in general is typically something best served warm. In my mind, I think of comfort food as warm food. It fills you up. It makes you feel good from the inside. These are the foods that we crave. And we crave these foods, especially in times of our life where we might find ourselves stressed out, anxious, hurting. We call it comfort food for a reason. Right? There's an emotional attachment to comfort food. These are the things that we want to eat when we're lonely, when the weather is gloomy. Comfort food, chicken fried food, 
on one level is about delivering a moment of hope. However I'm feeling, whatever's going on around me, there's still reason to believe that there is hope, that there's more to this life, that there's more to this world, that there's something better tomorrow. Chicken fried people bring hope to the world around them. But comfort food also is the kind of thing that typically we associate with home. It's the meals that our mothers and grandmothers prepared for us. Again, that emotional attachment. Comfort food has an association with being at home or in a place that feels like home. It conjures memories of home and the people that we have shared that kind of food with in the past. My mother-in-law is a tremendous cook. And my wife talks about the foods that my mother-in-law would make on a Sunday and coming back to the home after worship on Sunday morning, and you've got that smell of the pot roast in the air, or she could immediately put the chicken in, and you literally have the chicken fried chicken. Oh my goodness. We share these things with our family, in our home, around a table. For you, maybe it's food that you share around a fireplace. In our family, if it's a cold, rainy night, we just want something warm. These are the kinds of foods that we may just eat out of a bowl in our pajamas, in the living room. What a great way to consume comfort food. Am I alone there? I mean, that's, this is what we do, right? It's just what you do because you're home and you're comfortable. So chicken fried people not only bring hope in who they are and how they live, but they convey a sense of home to the people that they encounter. You can be at home with the people in this room. That's what the church is intended to be, a home for the homeless, by design, and not just in this room, but in your living room, in your kitchen. It's heating up the leftover chicken fried at your work, and the other people coming into the break room going, boy, what are you cooking? That smells good. And I would like to sit down at the table with you and share that. Chicken fried brings home to people in need of home. But at some level, we understand fried foods are not particularly healthy foods. We get that, right? So to be a chicken fried people, yeah, on one level, we're eating stuff that the doctor might not recommend. But on a, on a, on a molecular, there it is, on a molecular level, when we eat chicken, we're eating something that's also full of nutrients on some level, right? And the whole point of food in general is that it's something that provides sustenance to our bodies. Food is fuel. It gives us energy, strength. It replenishes, it restores. To be a chicken fried people is to be the kind of people that do the same thing for the world around us. As I follow Christ, as I befriend you as my neighbor or my colleague or my coworker, the interactions that we have should be characterized on some level by my ability through the Holy Spirit to strengthen you, to support you, to bring replenishment to those areas of your life that are hurting and need healing. Do we not live in a world right now that is hurting and in desperate need of healing? And as I read my New Testament, what I see is that God has a vehicle to bring healing to the world in this day and age. It's called the church. And that includes everybody in this room. A chicken fried people are those who bring healing to the world. 
So living chicken fried means that we are agents. We are ambassadors. We are chefs in one sense and food deliverers in another sense where what we have to offer is hope and home and healing and that hopefully there is something wafting out the windows that people go, I don't know what it is, but it smells great and I'd love to try it. That's out the windows of this space. That's out the windows of your living room. Being a chicken fried people is something that happens more than just here in this room. Being chicken fried is something that happens more than just at a designated hour on a Sunday. We are called to be a chicken fried people throughout our lives in all places in every circumstance. Romans chapter one, we are told that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, that this is our spiritual act of worship. Too often we've had a very narrowly defined expression of what Christian worship looks like. And we truly have boiled it down to about an hour on Sunday morning. Worship is more than just songs and prayers. Worship is more than a guy in a pulpit delivering a sermon. To offer our bodies as living sacrifices is to be a chicken fried people in all places at all times. And we do that in a unique way here, but this is such a small slice of what that looks like in our life for a world that's desperate, who can't wait to smell something wafting out the windows and be drawn in because they don't know what it is, but they desperately want to taste. So a couple questions here today. I would ask as a people of the Newburgh Church of Christ, what are you cooking In light of what was said, is this a chicken fried people that gathers together in this room on Sunday mornings? If I were to walk by, is there anything wafting out these windows that I would want to come in and have a taste of myself? I'm asking you guys to have this conversation after I leave. Reflect on that for a little bit. I get it, chicken fried, that's silly, right? But you remember it. And I hope that there's some conversations about whether or not we're chicken fried here at the Newburgh Church. Secondly, what are we eating? So what exactly are we cooking? Is it wafting out the windows? And what is it that we're eating exactly? Christianity in North America has become so superficial, so consumerized. We are tempted. We are tempted to embrace branding and marketing strategies, to advertise ourselves to the community, all for the goal of bringing people in. Great. I would love more people in this room, and I think you probably would too. But if the expression of our Christianity just becomes about marketing and branding, and at the end of the day, let's call it what it is, fighting over a market share, because there's other churches in town too. And how do we differentiate to make sure that those seekers come to our church and not theirs? Shame on us as a people. The church was never designed to be McDonald's for the masses. 
It's not my job to provide that. We need to ask what we're cooking. We need to ask what is it that's in our diet as a people in the church? And is it something of substance? Is what we teach and what we do and what we believe something that actually provides nutrients, that builds us up and provides that healing element? Or is it just simply junk? We all take our kids to McDonald's because they want the toys and they want the junk. And we all recognize we don't really like McDonald's, but we go for our kids because it's bright and it's shiny and they get a toy. And so it brings us in the door. And churches do that every Sunday. That is not what I'm describing by being chicken fried. So what are we cooking? What are we eating? I would ask the question, who is at our table? To be a chicken fried people, it's fascinating to me. Very common human tendency that when you encounter anything that you enjoy that's a good thing, we we feel compelled to tell other people whether they want to hear about it or not. We went and saw the new Top Gun movie just a few days ago, partially because people talking to us are all saying, you got to go see this movie. It's a great movie. You got to go see this movie. How many of you have seen a movie, eaten at a restaurant, traveled to a destination, you came home and said, man, that was so good. I can't wait to just tell anybody about it and say, you got to try that too. Do we have tables that are open? And because there's something chicken fried at the table that is so good, we feel compelled to say to our neighbors, oh man, we got this recipe. And if you haven't tried it yet, we got to get you over here because this is good. And I can't help but invite you to share it with me. As a people, we tend to sit at tables that are fairly insular. The people there we already know, and we look across the table, and it's a beautiful thing to be in Christian friendship, but if we're not careful, it can be exclusive. And so we sit at tables, and we enjoy this amazing food, and we purge and get fat on it, and we don't always share it with our neighbors. And man, if we keep those windows closed so tight, no matter how good it is, there's no chance for it to waft out the windows. There's no chance somebody walks by and goes, what's that in there? Oh, man, I want a taste of that. What is wafting out the door? That would be my next question. Is there something wafting out the door? And if somebody were to smell it, would it be compelling enough that they wanted to come inside and share it with us? The follow-up question to this would be, let's say somebody does smell what we're cooking, and they come and they knock on the door. Are we truly willing to share? Is there room at the table? Is it our desire to pull up a chair? That we want someone new at that table? Which, by the way, there's a reason we hang out with people we know. We're comfortable with those people. There are no surprises with those people. They typically look like us, act like us, vote like us. As soon as somebody walks in those doors because they smell what we're cooking... It changes the dynamic of who's in the room. And that can be scary. And let's just be real about that. Sometimes we don't really want that. I'm much more comfortable with the people I know. And so, sure, I would love to say that my table's open, but at the end of the day, it's often closed. Chicken fried is best shared. So we ask who's at the table. Last question. With what we're serving at our tables, 
assuming that the doors and windows are open, assuming that it's wafting out into the streets, assuming that people go, oh my goodness, I don't know what it is, but I want a piece of that. By the time we actually sit down at the table and we try this, have you ever cut into a piece of overcooked dry chicken? There's no frying in the world that fixes a piece of overcooked dry chicken. You ever had comfort food that is under-seasoned? And you look at that and go, oh man, that looks good. And you try it and realize, ugh, that's awfully bland. I don't know that I would want a second serving of that necessarily. Chicken that is unseasoned. Chicken that is dry. Chicken that is served cold. Except for you weirdos that eat it out of the kitchen late at night. (laughs) This is not the kind of chicken that most people would say, oh man, that's chicken fried and I want a piece of that. No, we would say, nice try, but I'm not interested. So what are we serving at the end of the day? And is it something people would even want to try? There are a lot of people who have tried Christianity, and they have found it wanting. At some point, you say, I tried it once, wasn't very good, I don't think I'll go back there. We've all had that experience with a restaurant. So what are we serving? And would people even want to try it if it were presented to them? Chicken fried people bring hope. They bring home. They bring healing. And we open up the windows and it wafts out and the people say, I want a piece of that. And it sticks on our clothes. And we walk into the workplace. People go, man, I don't know what you were eating, but I sure wish I could have had a piece of that. And we warm it up in the break room and people go, oh man, if there's more than one serving, I'd sure like to try that. And we need to be a people that say, praise God, because I brought extra and there's some for you. And I can't wait to sit down at the table because you got to try this. A chicken fried people are those who are called to be one as a church, united in Christ, building one another up. We're in this together as a team and we're committed to being chicken fried together. A chicken fried people celebrate the diversity that is in the church. We recognize that we were created by God to have different gifts and talents to offer and that we are only at our best when everybody in the room discovers that gift and uses it for his glory. And ultimately we become chicken fried when we embrace our commission to share all of that with the world around us. To the glory of God, for the blessing of a fallen world, that we as his people might be his agents to share a little chicken with a world that's desperately in need of hope, healing, home. I'm going to close with a prayer, and then Chris, whatever you guys do after that, okay. Father, I'm so thankful for all the ways you bless us in our lives, I'm thankful for a church that, at least on first glance to me, seems like a pretty good group of people. I'm thankful for a group of people this weekend that I've experienced to be warm and welcoming and encouraging. I'm thankful for a church that I've encouraged who's willing to have difficult conversations about things uh, <laughs> where we might disagree where there might not be easy answers, and yet this church is willing to wade into those waters and talk about things that matter because they believe there's something better that can result on the other side. I pray for this church here in Newburgh, Oregon, that you continue 
to send people past this place, past these homes, past our kitchens, who can smell what's wafting out the windows. And I pray for this church that it be a people who's got something delicious cooking in that kitchen so that forever people would smell it in deeply and say, I don't know what it is, but I want some of that. And Father, when that time occurs, by your Holy Spirit, would you give us the words and the ability to share, to share, to show, to teach for your glory, for the deepening and strengthening and broadening of your kingdom. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen.